right to your host of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Down the Garden Path. Static? What happened there? Hello. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscapes. Hello there. I am Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host, Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Joanne, and good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right, and we are in, shockingly, the last, although it seems like it's been a long month, but shockingly, the last (laughs) Monday of August. So as August winds to a close, we are going to conclude our month-long discussion of popular flowering trees in the landscape and our summer of deep dives into the perennial shrub and tree staples of our landscapes. Tonight, we thought we'd cover a couple trees we didn't manage to squeak in last week. Um, And so we thought we have a few more we wanted to discuss with you. And then we're going to be focusing on answering all your plant and tree questions and gardening dilemmas. Uh, Matt and I realized it's been a long summer of no uh, question and Q&A episodes. So uh, we wanted you to fire off as many questions as you can uh for us and we are looking forward to um uh to answering those so please if we would love you to join that conversation uh send us your questions to instudio101 at gmail.com that's right that is right so thank you welcome to the end of the month i can't believe you're right it feels like it's just um yeah what a, a weird summer yeah, it's it's weird because it's, it's one of those things where it went fast, but yet, oh my gosh, it's still August. Yes. Because <laughs> of this, or maybe because of the heat, it feels like it's not uh, the end of the month. I don't know. Yes. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yes. So I know we, we tried to get, we were ambitious. We always are a little ambitious, aren't we, we with are. trying to cover things in a show. Um, but uh, you felt like we really missed some goodies uh, that we didn't get covered last week. So, uh, um, yeah. yeah. So what, what do you, what's the one, what's the first one that you'd like to chat about? Well, I think we were going through trees and I think we kind of just touched on uh, and mentioned one of the bigger um group of flowering trees that people find really popular, especially in spring, uh, just the ornamental flowering cherries. I think we mentioned them quickly, um, but, you know, there are so many beautiful uh, ornamental flowering cherries uh, that will get you no fruit, uh, that will just light up your landscape with not only the beautiful blooms, but then they're also, they're just their beautiful, gorgeous habit. Uh, the first one I think that is most popular in the garden center, we get asked for all the time every spring, uh, is the Kwanzan flowering cherry, uh, which is that beautiful double pink that fades to a little bit of white uh, on the outside as they age. Big, beautiful vase-shaped tree. 
with those dark, uh, glossy green leaves. But it is a big one. Uh, it is 30 feet by 30 feet. So it's a Ooh. very tall, very upright, uh, spreading vase shape. Uh, but it's absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, so definitely take a look for those early in the spring. But I, I want to say, buyer beware, take a look. Ask if you're looking for a flowering cherry. Don't be afraid to ask what flowering cherries they have. It is another group of flowering trees that is very, very large. And there are, are some beautiful cherry trees that are ornamental, uh, that are different shapes and different sizes. And I think everybody loves the Kwanzaa because it's, again, it's that double pink. They're big clusters of big fluffy pink, uh, lightly white flowers. But there are some beautiful ones. Um, and I always get this name wrong, but Amanogawa flowering cherry, another beautiful flowering cherry, white. Um, one of the best ones, but it's very narrow and upright, showy pink flowers in early spring, like the Kwanzaa cherry, only growing about 20 feet tall to about five to six feet wide. Uh, so it's a very nice, upright, tight habit. It's going to give you those beautiful pink flowers. One of the favorite white ones uh, is that double flowering mountain Fuji. Uh, more of a smaller tree, so only about 15 feet tall, a little wider to about 20 feet tall, uh, but just absolutely covered in those um, double, maybe even semi-double uh, white flowering springs in early spring. Uh, and then we have a beautiful bronze bark on Mount Fuji as well. So there's a nice contrast there as well. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, they are popular. Um, and I know not everybody has room for them. So I always think of my favorite um, little new little shrub too, called the Yuki cherry. Uh, Dudzia, uh, right. It's got that same little flower. The Dudzias are absolutely amazing. If you guys have not checked out uh, the Dudzia groups of shrubs, they're, you know, two by two, three by three. There's a range of some Chardonnay pearls with the beautiful chartreuse, um, Foliage maturing to a nice green with long strings of white pearls that come out white. And then, like Joanne said, uh, Yuki uh, cherry, um, whatever you just said, the Yuki cherry blossom, Dutsia, yes. sorry. <laughs> um, and again, yeah, beautiful, those beautiful pink petals covering the entire shrub. A nice arching habit, two by two, two by three. I love the Yuki as well because you get those beautiful medium green leaves, but you get those nice almost like cherry burgundy stems on the leaves as well with all the new growth. So you get that beautiful arching habit and then you get the nice stem color as well when the flowers are all gone. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's a stunning one. Yeah. So a little off topic, but those for those people having <laughs> cherry tree and be, and they don't have a room for a 30 by 30 foot cherry tree for sure and have a little bit of that. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that is excellent. So and they certainly are, I think, a very worldwide, a very popular flowering tree. So, you know, so it's it's great that we were able to uh, include them on the show. Um, and then the next one was a flowering or is a red bud. Is that what? Yes. Red bud. Yeah. This canadensis, which is native, right? That's right. Yes. So it's a native shrub uh, to North America. And I am going to fall short today with my exact state to province range of where it is native. Uh, but yes, the um, almost a Japanese there. The uh, redbud tree, for sure, flowering redbud. There's a number of different cultivars as well. 
There are some weeping forms. There's a white flowering form. Uh, there's so many different leaf colors when they mature. Uh, but these guys come out very showy pink to purple flowers. Some even have a nice um, uh, dark magenta kind of color into their pink. So they're not just like a light or a baby pink. But they're very tightly held growing right off of bare stems uh, and branches in early spring. And then they emerge to have these beautiful heart-shaped uh, leaves that come out after the flowers in them. And then the leaf color, not only do you have that beautiful uh, show and a native plant, but you can get some of the ones, uh, some of the cultivars as well, uh, like Rising Sun, which is my favorite. And it comes out with a very intense uh, bright orange color. And then, then as those stems elongate and the leaves come out, they go from orange. And then as they mature, they go to a bright yellowy orange, to a yellow, to a chartreuse green, and into a green. So you get this multicolored effect as your tree expands and all the new leaves come out. And that's after you get that fantastic uh, early spring bloom as well. So take a look. Um, and and sorry, just thinking about the leaves, they then they go into like a, a yellow color for the fall. So you get that yellow color uh, in the fall. Nothing crazy like blazing reds or Japanese maple, but just a nice uh, golden yellow color for your fall. But Excellent. definitely take a look at some of those cultivars as well. One of the more popular ones in uh, the garden center too right now is Lavender Twist. Uh, so it's a, a some semi-upright weeping uh, form as well. Uh, but again, it's very popular. Um, and there's so many teachers. We could go on for a while with our red butts. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, sunshade? <laughs> yeah, they are more of like uh, that native understory tree. So they do prefer a bit of a partial shade. Uh, they do like a little bit of a protected space from the, those winter winds or just wind in general. If you've got a, a very windy spot, the leaves will quickly become a little tattered. Uh, and if you have something like forest pansy, which is a nice rich purple color under some stress, they might go a little bit of a green uh, or a little kind of raggedy looking as well. Yeah, okay. so uh, they will tolerate some full sun, but they do prefer that partial shade and they have a good shade tolerance as well. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. That's always good to, to know that what, because there's lots of things that grow with full sun, right? It's good to know what will grow in the shade. Um, yes. And the cool thing, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm sure you know the scientific term for it, but the, it, it, all the stems are covered in the blooms and then it leaves. So the blooms kind of leaf out like right almost from the stems and then they leaf out. Yes. Yeah. They are right on the stems and then they come out. And the exact scientific term, you're right. And I am it totally eluding me right now. I know. I put, I put <laughs> you on the spot. But yeah, so they're kind of cool in the sense that they really look, the flowering uh, habit of them is a little bit different than like something that has is a full leaf and then you see the buds and then the flowers open and the, the green background of the tree. These ones are cool in the sense that it looks like a bear, like a naked tree uh, with all the stem and the really cool branching habit. And then all of a sudden, all those stems are just covered in blooms tight to the, the stems. And then after they're done flowering, then it will leaf out in these beautiful heart shaped leaves. So yeah, so it's a very cool tree. Yes. And I don't use it very much in design, so I don't, uh, uh, I don't know why, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. We've got some, like the lavender twist, for example, only growing about six feet tall and about eight feet wide. Uh, and then we've got also the, um, what one is it called? Burgundy Hearts, sorry. Uh, no, no, that's the big one. Ruby Falls. It's a smaller one, uh, eight feet tall and about uh, six feet wide. So again, Excellent. some nice rich purple color as well. And some small sizes for those uh, that might, you know, a weeping caragan or... Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. A mulberry, <laughs> just thinking yeah. that kind of form or that kind of yeah. shape, especially yeah, in a shade sure. or a protected form. Okay. Um, and lastly, the other one that's kind of a really cool tree, and I think a little bit underused as well that we didn't cover uh, last week, um, is actually a tulip tree. Yes, Liriodendron tulipfera. Uh, again, another North American, Eastern North American uh, native, very unique shape. Uh, leaves they kind of almost look like a maple leaf where they just they kind of that obovate but then they have very uh, distinct points four distinct points on their leaves to each side very symmetrical looking uh, glossy medium green leaf uh, if you're a trek fan uh, it looks like a small ferengi ship but that is a leaf. So our <laughs> probably get that one. But, uh, yes. <laughs> so, and then, yeah. And then we get um, tulip shaped flowers, um, which can sometimes be hard to see or some people notice, uh, but they emerge on above the stems or sometimes they're tucked under some leaves, depending on your tree. And they've got a greeny yellow with some orange centers uh, and some orange on their shoulders of the petals uh, as well. Uh, and then they bloom usually late spring into the summer on that one as well. But this is a very big tree uh, mm -hmm. as well. She needs some room to grow. She have, they can, in our area, at least in our, our North, Eastern North America, well, we can see them at about 90 feet tall and 50 uh -huh. feet wide. So this is a ginormous tree. However, yes. We do have a smaller cultivar, Arnold Tulip Tree, which is the one that most people will be sought after. Uh, and she's going to grow 50 to 60 feet tall. But she's a very nice, upright, narrow habit and only spreading to about 10 to 12 feet wide. I've seen some more mature ones grow closer to <laughs> some 15. Um, I, but I wonder how old they, they really are. Uh, so, yeah, so there's, that's an also uh, another fantastic upright form for you yeah now i heard that it doesn't it takes a few years before it will start to to flower the tulips so it's yes. not something that you you know you're you're not going to see and i think that's why they're still underused is because it's not like you see them like you know the impulse purchase of a flowering tree in the nursery you know you're not going to see that with with the tulip trees um it takes a few years for them to get established yes correct yeah they don't like to bloom right away they'll establish and then they'll start to flower as they age, yes, indeed. Okay. And then the fall color, especially with the Arnold, um, is you've got an outstanding um, gold yellow color for the fall as right. well. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, unique, interesting tree. Uh, definitely underused in the landscape for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah I think now that it's uh, a more of a popular columnar tree, um, we're seeing, I, I've used it a little bit more lately and. Um, the demand for them, you know, because they are a pretty hardy tree too. They're a tough tree. So, so yeah, they are a tough tree. There's, there's very few insects or diseases that really go after them. 
Um, yeah, they're pretty easygoing and very tough. I've sold quite a number this year at the garden center, just talking about, you know, that rise in popularity. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're definitely gaining. Excellent. Excellent. So there you go, everybody. There's the three that we missed last week. We ran out of time and but we felt we're still, you know, we'll I'm sure we'll revisit uh, flowering trees next year, but we felt that it was important to kind of add them um, in this month of flowering trees in August. And uh, we're excited to, you know, we can answer any other questions you may have um, for the rest of the show. Uh, if you, um, want to tune, you know, if you want to send us a message about flowering trees or anything else in the garden or any garden dilemmas you might have, then please do so at instudio101 at gmail.com gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> and we do have a few questions already. So oh. I'll, I'll, uh, Carol has written in, um, a question, but not about trees. That's okay, Carol. Yeah. Uh, she's brand new to tulips. Kind of funny since we were just talking about tulip trees, which are not related. It's just a coincidence. Yes. Um, <laughs> she says she wants to try to grow them for next spring. Um, get it? Try to. I suck, <laughs> at, I suck at gardening. No, no, uh, Carol, we can help you. Can you run me through the procedure of planting tulip bulbs and the maintenance regarding them? Thank you very much, Carol. Yeah, so... We do. We have done a couple shows, haven't we? So, Carol, we'll put those in the show notes because mm. we have done like some bulb focus, deep dive into bulbs. Uh, but for now, uh, yeah, they're going to start coming out in the garden center, aren't they, Matt? Yeah, we've got a good uh, a, just a starting selection right now at our garden center. Uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, but yeah, Carol, there is a wide, wide variety of shapes and colors. Also, if you um, follow any seed companies, uh, the catalogs are coming out now. I've just received another one uh, in the mail from even the same company. Uh, so definitely take a look at any of your seed catalogs for their bulb version. As far as how to grow them or try to, um, Carol, they are really easy to grow. And you're basically going to dig small holes. Uh, and as long as the bulbs aren't touching underground, they should survive. They do need that winter per, um, fertilization, that cold period, uh, for quite a while before they come up, usually that 10 to 12 weeks. And then depending on their species and even the tulips, there's the early, mid and late flowering tulips. They will all come up according to their timing and give you a wonderful uh, show. So as far mm. as... Um, Planting, there's a, usually a little rule, and this can go with a lot of the different seeds, and um, unless they need something specific like uh, light. Uh, but the bulbs, especially, if you're ever wondering how, you know, you throw out the package or something, and you wonder how deep do I really need to plant it? Um, first, pointy side up. But then, pointy side, that's a key. That's one key. You took you forever to get to that really important part, Matt. Yes. So, Carol, pointy side, pointy up. side up. There's, there's a Even if you get it wrong, on. though, it will make its way. But yeah, pointy side up. Yes. And that's another tip that we can talk about later for bulbs. Pointy side up. But if you forget or you wonder how deep they are to plant them, it's just three times the height of the bulb. So if you have a two inch bulb, two times three is six inches. Six inch depth should be safe. Mm -hmm. If you have some critters that are going to dig up, and we can talk about that as well, you can try digging it a little deeper. We'll delay it by a few days, uh, but you can dig them a little deeper to help prevent that, and they will still uh, come up as well. 
Mm-hmm. And I'd say planting visually, uh, visually, it's important, uh, Carol, that you can, you can plant, a, like dig a bigger hole. So I know Matt said, you know, one hole, but it can be a big hole. It can be like a four, you know, whatever size garden you have. And then you can space the bulbs out because I think visually they look better when they come up in a group as opposed to like in a line or a zigzag or come up individually. Many will naturalize, but they usually take a few years before they do that. So go ahead and dig like, you know, a foot or a two foot wide hole, six inches deep, and then you can space out your bulbs, you know, five bulbs in that grouping and then a bit farther along. Um, And the biggest thing is, I think uh, one mistake people forget is that they do need sun. So right so that you know in the fall when the trees lost its leaves they're like oh yeah this is a sunny spot so they plant them there but really in the spring the tree leaves back out again and it's not very sunny so the the bulbs may come up but they may not super thrive so so i think that's something so it's good now to a spot like i spy some spots in your your yard where you think they're going to get a good amount of sun while the leaves are still on the trees don't you think Yeah, and that's especially true with uh, the mid to the late blooming. If we've got the really early, early stuff, they'll take that deciduous sun because they'll come up, they'll bloom, and they'll do their thing. But yeah, they are full sun plants. And that's the good tip about just getting the trick about getting them to reflower again or naturalize if you want to leave them in there. They need to feed on that sun going into June uh, Mm -hmm. to build that bulb up again and build next year's flower before they get dormant. So if it's Mm -hmm. too shady, they won't do that as well. That's right. And so as far as maintenance goes, the biggest thing there is just when they're finished flowering, Carol, you have to leave the leaves on. So that's why it's important to plant it with other plants, other shrubs or perennials nearby so that because we want the leaves to die slowly and feed the bulb. Um, So in our episode on bulbs, we'll also recommend because if squirrels are an issue and critters are an issue in your area, then you know, definitely recommend daffodils or alliums as a, as another choice. Um, both, uh, the squirrels don't like them. So, uh, so that's, uh, you know, something else to think about. Um, does it have to be tulips? There's lots of other spring flowering bulbs. So, um, so hopefully that's good. And like I said, we'll, we'll try to remember to put the, uh, the show notes, uh, the link to spring bulbs or on your favorite podcast app, you can, uh, search for those, um, those shows. That's so. right. Yeah. Yeah. So what else do we have, Matt? Helga's also written in, hello, is it a good time to start pruning or trimming trees? Thank you. And P.S. Some trees are already losing some leaves. Uh, And yes, Helga, they are. Um, We've had a, especially up here, we've had a very hot summer. We did get a little bit of rain, a good period of rain there with some heat. Uh, And then we got a good stretch where there was just lots and lots of heat and very minimal rain. And trees have that ability where they can shut down. They understand that things are way too stressed. We see this especially in boulevard trees where the soil contained is is either the boulevard is very uh, highly trafficked or, again, it's just a contained small amount of soil. The trees can decide it's time to go to sleep. Uh, I'm done. It's a stress reaction. I'm going to drop my leaves, pull my resources, set bud for next year and I'm just going to wait. And um, when I was in school, I lived on a street where there was a massive, it was a full grown oak. The The boulevard or the, the trunk took up two thirds of the boulevard and every, t- yeah, it was ma- huge, huge. Um, and every, usually about 
mid-July to end of August, depending on what we'd seen already, uh, she would turn color and drop. So by the time school started again, or the time I was moving back in for the for the fall semester, she was already lost her leaves or losing her leaves. So don't worry about it if she's turning fall color and she's dropping, if you've got really compact soil or dry. Uh, if it was newly planted, that's a whole other thing, but more of those bigger established leaves. Uh, trees might be losing the leaves and it's it's even if it's you've had it for a few years of staff yard and she's losing tree it's probably or leaf it's probably just her uh, reaction she's just telling you it's time to take a sleep because it's a little stressful for her. the other thing we're seeing is a lot of you know uh, burnt leaves along the edges we may not be dropping them but they're very stressed mm -hmm. uh, stress going curling yeah Right. Yes, exactly. And curling going into the spring, it was so wind or for our summer here, it was so windy and wet that we saw just a lot of wind and water damage to the leaves. They just looked tattered, um, a little bit of water damage on them. And then as we went into summer, those don't repair. Uh, but then we got the drought and then the tree literally just can't move up enough water into its height. So they start to burn on those edges. And that's just a huge stress thing, too. As far as your main question, Helga, as we totally go on the postscript, um, is it a good time to start pruning or trimming trees? Definitely depending on which tree it is and or isn't. So identify your tree, make sure you know which tree it is and prune it accordingly. And then depending on the size of the tree, uh, don't forget to always come in and have an arborist if you need to, uh, or any other of your landscape professionals you trust to take a look at that tree, uh, remove any limbs that you need to thin it out. If you've always got a tree that, you know, maybe you've got a tree that is near the house and a limb is moving out over the roof, you can take that one limb off or it's starting to grow out and, you know, interfere with the driveway, taking up to that, you know, that limb up to a nice, um, node or a branch collar properly using a three-point cut on those heavier limbs won't really stress the tree out too much so uh yeah identify the tree and then um you know uh, maybe we can answer yeah. if you have a specific tree yes. uh, you could write us back or um mm. yeah definitely check in with your arborist uh, surprisingly though that um often you can do a lot of trimming in the winter when the tree is dormant so that's something to consider too that you don't there's no hurry to do it um but, but like matt said if something's getting close to the house or over the fence and you need to cut it back um that's fine but often uh pruning encourages new growth so you you've got to really be careful of the timing and uh, anything valuable like a japanese maple or some rare you know i think it's it's best to call a professional agreed yeah, agreed. Um, Another question. Howard yeah. wrote in, hello, what is a windbreak? Uh, is it something artificial like plastic, burlap, etc.? Or is it bushes or hedges? And is it really important to block the wind? Uh, Howard, as far as your definition goes, you're spot on. It can be something artificial like a fence or, uh, you know, plastic or burlap or some sort of screening. Uh, to break the wind from entering a certain part of the garden. Uh, it could be bushes or hedge or even larger trees in production fields uh, or crop fields where they'll plant in between the fields or just on the edge of the field to help break or slow the wind from drying out and, and desiccating things. Uh, so is it really important to block the wind? It's not necessary. 
Uh, but depending on what you're doing and the conditions around your garden, you might want to. It'll add a little bit of protection. You might find that things don't dry out as much. The water stress uh, is, is reduced. The water stays in your trees and your garden a little bit more often. And uh, it can just kind of, you know, add a little bit more protection for things like your red buds uh, or Japanese maples that do like a little bit less wind blasting over them all the time. So, yeah, so it could be something artificial the large grouping of uh, trees, shrubs, or hedges, uh, depending on the needs of your site and how big and how wide you want that to be. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, no, it's not necessarily important to have the wind blocked for sure. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully, Howard, that answers your question. Yeah. I'm going to um, take... Yeah, Catherine. Oh, you're going to go? What? Sorry. I was going to just stop right as we hit the very end of the, the bottom of the hour for our little mid-show station identification. Station um, identification. <laughs> <laughs> it's that baseball that I keep listening to. Uh, but thank you for You're joining listening us You're listening to New York Yankees baseball. Yeah. That's exactly the one that I, that, yeah, we're going to stop for 10 seconds. Station ID, you're listening yeah. to New York Yankees radio here on the Fan 590 or wherever. <laughs> That's exactly what I think. Uh, but thank you for joining us here on Reality Radio 101. That was our wonderful producer, Gary. Uh, I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. Don't forget, you can spend more time with us down the garden path. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle there is at Down the Garden Path Podcast. And you can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. We love your questions. We love finding out where you're from. So don't forget, you can always write us here at instudio101 at gmail.com. Or you can find us on our websites. You can find Joanne at www.downthenumber2earth.ca. And you can find myself, Matthew Dressing, at www.naturalaffinity.ca. So yes, uh, speaking of questions, we are wrapping up our month-long talk on trees. We looked at, at a few trees at the top of the show that we missed from last week. Uh, and the rest of the show is all about your questions uh, mm. about your garden dilemmas or plant questions, etc. cetera. Uh, so yeah, love, write us in, instudio101 at gmail.com. And I think I cut you off with our next question from Catherine. Yes, Catherine's question. She says she has a question for us. She's asking what is meant by forest garden. I hear so many people talk about that and I don't know what they mean. Are there certain plants and trees to be grown in a forest garden? Thanks for the explanation, Catherine. So I haven't heard the term. I've heard forest bathing. I think that's been like a popular term. We need to do a show on forest bathing. But have mm. you heard the term forest garden? It, it, when I think forest garden, I think of kind of creating an ornamental garden with a very forest feel. So uh, like you're in the forest, maybe you've got a number of trees on your property, hostas, ferns, some other, uh, you know, wild ginger, some other uh, forest perennials to kind of give you that forest-esque feel. Um, the term that I usually hear, especially now with more of the move to permaculture and uh, agriculture, looking at our garden is the food forest. And it's basically creating that layer of those seven layers within a food forest 
you know, the trees, the shrubs, the vines, the subflora, um, all those kind of, and I'm not going to name all seven right now because mm-hmm. I'm forgetting one or two. Uh, but then that idea is that food forest is providing this shelter for the plants that are going to produce berries and other edibles within that forest uh, setting as well. So as far as forest garden, that's what I've always known forest garden is, is just that style of garden where you're more shade gardening and you're reproducing more of a forest-esque feel using trees and shrubs and other shade-loving perennials and shrubs to create that forest feeling. Perhaps you have a pond in it, a babbling brook that spans your yard. Um, That's what I would do in my forest garden. But uh, that's how I know the definition. Is there anything you feel I'm missing, Joanne? Or? No, no. I think I think of native, like, you know, maybe that's yeah, a lot of definitely. talk, you know, native plants. I, I think there's a lot of talk on some of the Facebook groups and things about every time somebody says, what should I plant? Somebody always chimes in, plant a native plant. And I'm thinking that doesn't help the person because they still need the name of a plant. You right. know, so I, I think, what? you know, that's a lot of people are thinking, you know, to try and just uh, return to like, the native plants and which is which I totally support but I do think everybody wants some ornamental plants as well and um, some seasonal interest and some some uh, so I do definitely uh, focus on in my designs focus on a mix of, of both so um, so yeah so thank you for your question uh, Catherine an excellent question yeah for sure yeah so John has written in and, and he says um Hello, garden people. I love being garden people. Uh, what is a drip line? Someone told me to water at the drip line, but I did not want to appear stupid, which I am. So I'm asking you. Thank you. <laughs> so that's a great question, Matt. You and I were talking. So just a segue there, John, that, you know, many listeners have know that Matt and I are trying to work on a book um, and we Uh, I have tons of material and tons of ideas, but we also want to know what you want to know and what, so there's terms. I know last week we had someone ask us about a cultivar this week about a drip line. Cause sometimes I think when we know, we know what we know, but we don't know what you don't know. Does that make sense? So thank you for this question, John, because we're definitely going to include this in the glossary in the book. Um, But Matt, take it away. What is, uh, and I'm assuming somebody's asked you to to, uh, recommend that that's where you water your tree. Um, boulevard trees especially right Matt yeah yeah so John uh, great question no you don't sound stupid um, at all but your drip line is basically if you imagine the picture of a tree you've got that nice big tall trunk and say we've got a nice rounded circular head on our tree the drip line is at the very edge of the canopy of the leaves. So if you imagine the edge of the canopy up in the air and then you draw a straight line down to the ground That line all the way around the tree underneath that edge of the canopy is your drip line. And and roots are smart. They know that the tree leaves above them are blocking the amount of water that penetrates that canopy and enters the soil there. So what they do is they send out those roots beyond the canopy. The trees will always grow beyond their canopy. That's another big question I always get when recommending trees is, well, how big will the roots grow? They'll always move beyond the canopies because they know that they can detect the movement of air and water in the soil. So they know that they can send out fibrous root systems or the greater number of roots, their function there at the drip line and beyond is absorbing all that water that is falling and moving in that soil area that they can detect. 
So yeah, so that's where you're watering at the drip line just because you've got a greater concentration of roots that are going to absorb all of that water more readily. Not that that doesn't happen under the tree, but you tend to have the thicker branching and arm, like those scaffolding roots uh, that are nice and thick and don't have that fibrous uh, component to them to drink up all that water. So that's where the drip line is. Yes, yes. definitely. Perfect. And when you're, we're young, we're going to water right at the base of the tree, right? Because the roots haven't really, yes. they're at the drip line, but they're right there. So, um, you know, we've talked lots about tree bags and things like that. But John, if you, you want to water, one of the other tools that we often will see is a root feeder. I don't know if we've really talked too much about that. No, we haven't. And it's funny because I have one and I don't often use it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you basically, it's a long needle that's a couple feet long that you hook to your hose. You let it drip so that all along the drip line, you let it kind of run a little bit of water to soften the ground on the surface because it's usually a little drier out on the boulevard or wherever your tree is, or usually in the lawn area. And then it just slowly, with some pressure, sinks into the ground. You can turn it up onto maximum. Uh, make sure that it's your body's over it so that it doesn't spring back out of that hole that you dug and clock you in the jaw. Uh, but then it injects water at a, anywhere from six to 12 inches below the ground directly into the root system so that the, the lawn. Yeah. Excellent. So, Excellent. so yeah, so that is a very good question. And so just to recap, please, if you've got questions like that, yeah. um, you don't even have to email us during the show, you can email us anytime. Um, and just, uh, you know, I think there, there's lots of information and we use terms all the time that are, you know, not always clear. So, um, so yeah, we love that. So thank you very much. Yes. Um, and Karen is asking a good question as well. She's saying, uh, hello, always love the show and advice. Thanks, Karen. Uh, I know that people get their lawns aerated in the spring, but how about in the upcoming fall? Is it wise to do that then? Ooh, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, definitely. Do you? Yep. I don't think you should. Oh, okay. The grass is vigorous and growing. It's usually coming up. The weeds have already sprouted. If you've kept your grass nice and green through the whole summer, especially, um, you can pull them up. The grass is usually vigorous and growing, especially if it's green, that those plugs that pop out in any of that disturbance that you've created, your lawn is up and, and moving. Now, the other side of the coin, and maybe the no for you, is if it is, if you were in a very high drought area and you want to aerate now, your and the lawn is dormant then no you've still got that seed like in the spring when the lawn is dormant you've got areas where the seeds can come up and pop up uh, and start to take advantage if your lawn is dormant by now in the upcoming fall it's usually again where i was saying in the in the uh the summer the seeds have already or the weed seeds have sprouted and they're taking advantage and doing whatever but if you're in the fall and the lawn is strong and green and again, you've got that two to three inches. She will take that aerating and be defensive. The other thing that we see in the fall too is um, birds and other animals are foraging and they're smart. They're watching us like they take, Carol, like they'll take your uh, tulip bulbs that you're going to plant. Um, they see that we've dug in the ground and we've popped up some of these plugs or we've disturbed the earth. They can smell that and they'll watch us and they'll investigate some of those plugs and eat some of those seeds, but also break down and smash some of those little plugs for us, uh, causing them to break down or accelerate their deterioration back down to the soil level or into the thatch. So if it's a healthy lawn, definitely. I am a huge fan of aerating yeah. 
and and detaching then because the lawn is active and green and you've got a nice long growing period ahead of you all fall dormant and then again a nice favorable condition in the spring again okay uh, I, so i just i just i'm gonna interrupt and say i Go i think you have to be careful because it's not it's not in the fall it's not just what your lawn is doing so as someone who like looks after my lawn but then has people across the street who do not look after their lawn so i feel like if your neighbors have like a lawn full of crabgrass all gone to seed I have a new lawn or a clean, you know, green lawn, like you said, and now you're going to make all these little holes that now the wind is going to blow all that crabgrass too. So I don't know. I think it, I think you have to, it's not an easy clear cut question, unfortunately. I mean, I know what you're saying, Matt. I, I totally, if yeah. you're in a perfect condition and everybody in your neighborhood has a great lawn and you're just trying to improve yours uh, a bit, then that's great. I happen to have you know, if there's neighbors listening, I'm sorry, <laughs> but there's neighbors <laughs> across the street who, whose whole lawn is crabgrass and, uh, and those seeds, it's brutal right now, right? So all of the seeds in their crabgrass now are what will be in my guard, my lawn next year. So, um, and again, yeah. that goes to my no side, whereas if you've got a yes. damaged lawn or it's dormant, you're wide open for attack for sure. Yeah. But if you've, again, if you've got a green, healthy, uh, vigorous growing lawn, a few of those holes, if it falls into the hole, it won't really get that condition deep down into that hole. Uh, and again, if you've got, if your lawn is up, your seeds are going to be caught by the thatch layer. And that's what that lawn is designed to do when it's nice and thick is trap those seeds and bury them in the thatch mm -hmm. uh, and destroy them. And then that's where you're pulling them up in the spring and now you're exposing them to those conditions when they're growing at that perfect time because the lawn yeah. is dormant again. But yeah. So I don't know if we answered so, your question, Karen, but we gave you lots to think about the different situations depending exactly, on what situation. Yeah, I mean, and it maybe it's your backyard and that's not an issue, that kind of thing. I know I sometimes, because I don't have a back grass, I forget <laughs> that people have backyard lawn. So yeah, so so definitely situational, Karen. And I hope, uh, we hope we helped you somehow there. Um so, uh, and this is that we have another question by Carla, and I'm not sure we can answer it uh, d like as completely as you'd like as, uh, yes. uh, at this point in time. Um, but uh, Car Carla's asking, do we have tree names that are endangered species here in the GTA? Uh, she bought some land north of Toronto and want to clear it of the trees on the property. Ooh, don't want to clear all of them. However, I'm just starting to do some research on what trees might be endangered. Uh, can you give me a quick tip to any names that you know of that I should not cut down just in case they are on the property that I purchased? Thank you. Uh, lots a tricky one. Uh, I, I think a lot of that is depending on what you're going to do with your property, you, you need a permit and permission, especially in Toronto, to, to actually cut down the trees. Um, so, yeah, so... Yeah, I, right off the top of, it, of my head again, I, I'm not coming into a huge uh, list of endangered species. Um, and then again, depending on where you are, um, I like the Toronto and Regional Conservation Authority. They've got some good tips uh, and resources there. Uh, mm -hmm. But I don't have some plants for you, unfortunately, which um, I will now brush up on. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes it's not as clear as that other uh, also in the sense that mm -hmm. it, it depends sometimes on the diameter of the trees and, and how big they are and, and things like that. So it's, 
Uh, yeah, it's it's not an easy answer. So I'm sorry, Carla, that we can't give you more information. But definitely, uh, there is, you know, I would definitely take out check out uh, Toronto Conservation. And I know it's one of those things you'd rather like asking, well, asking forgiveness instead of permission or whatever it's going to get you into. But uh, yeah, I would, uh, I would kind of do a little bit more research just as far as your city goes. Because even amongst the GTA, uh, every city does something different. Yeah. Pickering's different from Ajax. Is diff- De- Toronto's definitely different. York is definitely different. So, um, so yeah. So good luck good. with that. And let us know how it, what you find out. Um, Katie, yeah. hello, Katie. Um, She's a, a, a frequent listener. Um, great advice tonight. Thanks, Joanne. You talked about these types of tree bags to water trees. Can you give that information out again? I'm curious. Ooh, I love it. Mine has a little hole in it. I'm trying to repair. I think an animal. Anyway, oh. <laughs> so yes, tree bags. Um, I love them. You love them. And I think the one that you love the most or the one, one of the bigger names is the tree gator. Right. Uh, and is the green bag, though, uh, Continental is the brand name through Holland Imports uh, as well. Uh, but yeah, they are wonderful. They zip together. You can wrap them around the tree. They hold uh, a number of liters. Uh, what is yours? Is yours about 15 liters? I think there's I a. I think so. Yeah. 15 to 18 liter is the classic green one that you see. And then there is the Tree Gator Junior, which I believe is about, and I might be wrong again, seven to nine liters. Um, it deceivingly holds a little bit more and it's a very flat ring that you can put around if you don't like that big intrusive uh, yeah. of one as well. But um, yeah, if you Google, sorry, and I switched the thing there, Katie, if you Google tree gator um, or tree bag, I'm sure you'll come up with some garden centers mm-hmm. in your area as well as uh, tree gators website uh, directly. Mm-hmm. As well. so. Yeah. So, and for our listeners who aren't familiar, you, you might've seen them driving around a lot of the commercial, a lot of the, um, um, municipalities. Um, thank you. Municipal, I do it with trees. So they're like green bags that have tiny, 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 lots of tiny, tiny little holes. So they zip around the tree and at the very top, there's like, you can't even see it. You have to go looking for it. There's a little hole that you'd fill it with the hose, fill the bag up. And there's tiny, tiny uh, little holes around the base of the, the, the bag. And so it will slowly water the tree, usually about eight to nine hours. So it's something, Mm -hmm. um, so it's like a nice, slow, deep watering, perfect for newly planted trees. Um, or even like I have, you know, established trees, but still I like to do them once, you know, each once a week or so, especially during this drought. And I know I haven't been able to because of, uh, the hole in my bag. Um, so yeah, so that's why I think they're, they're handy when you have a new tree. I, when I've got clients that are purchasing more than one tree, then I, I definitely uh, include a tree bag in their order. It just makes it so much easier because you think you're watering for a long time standing there, but you really mm-hmm. aren't. And uh, so I love that it's deep watering and uh, they're very handy. So, yeah. So thank you for asking that question. Yes. Ralph has also written in, uh, says, hello. I heard Matt one time talk about a homemade concoction to sterilize pruning and gardening tools to use on their greenery. What were the chemicals and mixtures to use? Thank you. And thank you, Ralph. Um, I think I was just using basically a, a 10 to 1 water solution of either like rubbing alcohol or just household bleach, just diluting it. And you can just kind of dip and, and swish around your uh, tools in it to sterilize. I have also in the past used, I've just grabbed a quick um, 
uh, you know, Lysol wipe and taking it with me, put it while my pruners in my hand. I'll just slip it into my pouch and every once in a while, or just hold it in my fingers and just wipe that off uh, as well. So I think that's what I was saying before, because uh, that's usually what I use around my own house or, or I recommend in the garden center as well. Yeah. So thank you for the question, Ralph. Um, so Sam uh, is enjoying the show and he said we are his favorite and he was it was very funny about he liked Gary he liked your New York baseball uh, comment. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and he's learning a lot. And that is Sam for, from Orlando, Florida. Thank you for listening, Sam. Gary has the perfect voice for it. I he? know he knows he does. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but this is great. You guys are doing such a good job of writing in a whole bunch of questions. And we're we love these episodes where we can just go bang, bang, bang. Right, Matt? That's right. And I don't know, did I, I maybe miss it, but Sam's from writing from Orlando, Florida. Yes. Yes. Um, new planting. So Jason, um, we get this question. I get asked this a lot, Jason. So thank you. He's in Ottawa, zone 5A, and he wanted to know if now is a good time to plant a tree. Not sure what kind as of yet, but if I do, should I wait until spring or can I do it now? Well, the best time to plant a tree, Jason, was 20 years ago. But <laughs> but I my I mean Matt and I might differ on this too. I mean, certainly right now where it's really hot, you know, it's a little less than ideal. But if you're gonna be home to water, we are still like for garden centers and install or garden uh, installs and stuff, we are still planting trees. We don't really stop. So so I say go for it. Um, you never know, like now we, as far as some end of summer and fall, we know what to expect spring. We never know. Sometimes it's, they're really wet. Sometimes they're really, um, cold it, you never know, but so you can still plant it in the spring, but I think you just plant it when you're ready to plant it and you have the right tree. So inventory gets to be a little, little walk wonky right now. Um, I was out today tagging trees for a couple of I have three installs this week. Oh my goodness. So I was, I was out there tagging some trees and uh, I pagoda dogwood. I could not find uh, the size I wanted, but uh, so yes, yeah, oh. so if you, um, you know, if you can find the tree, then I say plant it, uh, get a tree bag. Like we just talked about in the last question <laughs> and uh, you are good to go. I'm, I'm right there with you. We don't stop planting trees. We are constantly installing. Um, and then I think we just, it's, it's the care that we can give it. In the mm -hmm. summer, we tend to all vacation and go away and we're not there to help the trees and other perennials, trees or shrubs deal with that summer stress just, just pounds on them. But you know, vacations end in August, beginning of September, we go back to school, we go back to work, and we tend to be more at home. But also then we get the environment where the sun retreats to the south, and the water tables tend to come up. So the environmental stresses are a little off, but we're also there. COVID has definitely, I think, helped us with planting trees in the summer, because we're gardening, and we're stuck at home. So mm -hmm. yeah, exactly what, what uh, Joanne said. I mean, we're not stopping, just be mm -hmm. there to Take My care of it. Joanne. And yeah. Joanne, sorry. Uh, was she, I'm reading Jason's uh, email thing. <laughs> no, no, I'm just teasing. What you. she said. <laughs> yeah, what she said. So, yeah. And get the right tree. Mm -hmm, definitely, definitely. And we've got lots of, so if you've got questions about trees, please look, check out our uh, podcast uh, on your favorite podcast app, Search Trees. We've had, we've interviewed a lot of different arborists for trees um, and a lot of, and this whole month we've talked about flowering trees. So, uh, so definitely, hopefully we can help you choose the right tree, That's depending right. on what you're looking for. 
Um, yeah. So, and then uh, Tom is saying, finally, yeah. we admitted to writing a book. <laughs> yes, we're working on it. No, we're not going to give you the date because, you know, it's bad enough. We just told you we're working on it. So, uh, so yes, <laughs> we're working on it, but uh, we're working on a lot of other stuff too. So, uh, so, it's, so time is of the essence. So thank you for cheering us along. Yeah, there. And um, Craig is asking about removing a stump from a downing a tree. The tree, the stump is about 18 inches in diameter, which isn't that. Oh, I guess it is. Um, should we leave it or dig it out? If we dig it out, what's the best way? We would not want the tree to grow, sprout there again. Um, I've there are contractors out there who will have a stump grinder for you. So you can have them come in and physically ground it into the ground. Some of them will just ground it down before they hit flat soil. Some of them will excavate around it and really grind it in as best as they can. Um, another way, again, you could do it if you're uh, as a you know if you're very adventurous, Craig, is you could dig around it yourself. Try to find those main arms. Go in there with a saw. It's heavy work. It is laborious. Uh, but cut off what you can and try to remove the stump. Know that that is going to be a big core piece of wood underneath there. And it will grow down. There's a lot of included wood where the wood grows together as the roots touch and spread out. Uh, so there's a big core. There can be a big core underneath there as well. Uh, and then there are some still, you can still find some places uh, the salt mixture, which is high in the salts and the nitrogen, in which you drill a number of holes directly into the stump. You fill those stump holes with water and then, uh, and sorry, with the salt, and then you water them in over a period of time. And that nitrogen encourages that acceleration in the rotting uh, of that stump. We used to have it at our garden center, but just a word of warning again, I'm just not sure where you are, Craig. Um, but if you're here, uh, some places will hold it aside or behind the counter. It might be something you have to ask for. It is one of those nitrogen and salt-based things that can be used in uh, the making of explosives. So I, I know here in Ontario, our garden center was told that you have to ask for ID, that you cannot be selling that on the floor. Uh, so just if you go, if you're here, uh, definitely take an ask. But there's a few different ways uh, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that answers your question, correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and it's not uh, certainly suckering is one of the issues, but two, taking it out so that you can plant something else there. So, yes. so there's always people who like inherit a garden or move in, and then it's like, oh, well, we can't, I can't plant that because there's a stump there, and there's a stump there, and there's a stump there. So, um, it is a good idea to remove it and just be done with it. So, yeah. uh, and there are uh, companies that will, um, uh, will, will do that for you. So, um, so yeah. And then just going back to Catherine's question, um, leaving a stump from a felled tree uh, or a large piece of driftwood would go beautifully in Catherine's forest garden where mm. a tree once was there and now the others are taking it over. Uh, so there's a use for keeping it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So um, who else do we have? Oh, Darlene says you sound like oh. a scientist, which you do. Uh, oh. Amazing and expert. Very nice. So, yes, you always we always. Uh, so thank you for your feedback. Thank you, uh, Darlene. There. Yes. Uh, oh, and then we have oh, there we go. Scrolling back up. We've got Dawn who's written in. Uh, hey, to all of you. Do you know anywhere that I might get free tree saplings to plant here in Ontario? I was going to buy some for my land, but a friend of mine told me that there were government programs to get free saplings. Is that true? Thank you. Um, 
you know what? There that does ring a bell. Mm-hmm. And I haven't had to or gone after any for a number of years. So Don, I do apologize. I have forgotten who to uh go after them because there were some that would do that. Do you know anywhere? And I was just thinking back to maybe our program or our past guest Leaf. Yes, yes. Or- and there was just something just popped up in one of my I was just frantically looking at my Facebook group because there was something that just popped up on that. Uh, so hold on there. But yes, LEAF is one of the organizations. They only currently work, I believe, in Toronto and Durham. I'm not sure if they are in York region. Um, do right. you know, Matt? I, I don't, uh, Don, but we can definitely take a look at that and um, get you maybe some names and some resources okay. and uh, email you back with some, some uh, people maybe here in Ontario who can get you some free saplings. If yes. you maybe wanted to follow up with what you're looking for, coniferous or deciduous or whatever, mm-hmm. that would be great too. But, mm-hmm. yeah. So there is a post that just went out for the city of Pickering. Do you want a free one gallon service berry shrub? We're hosting a Take Pride in Pickering event uh, and we will be giving shrubs to those who register. Um, so yeah, so and keep in mind, like Don, saplings are tiny, like it's tiny. Mm. Uh, so it's certainly not, it's going to be a long time before it's a tree. Um, but, um, yeah, so I think, I think check in, um, I know leaf is, uh, L E A F dot org, I believe is their organization. And, uh, if you happen to be in Pickering, you can check this out for Pickering. Um, so yeah, so I, I think there's, um, treecanada.ca might be a spot too. Oops, sorry. Yeah, no, no. I think it's just one of those things like, like the, um, the, uh, varieties like uh, the 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 extinct extinct varieties like that's something that's so local, mm. right? So yes, yeah. Well, thank you, everybody. What do you think, Matt? I think that was a great show, and I loved hearing from all of our listeners. Thank you, everyone uh, who has written in. I think that was a great way to wrap up our deep dive mm-hmm. into many of our trees and shrubs and all of our other questions we may have had. Uh, next week though, uh, it is Labor Day weekend here in Canada. So we are taking a break from our live show and you will see our September in the garden repeat, uh, next uh, week, which is September the 6th. And, uh, we will be joining you again live on the 13th. Uh, anything else you would like to say before as our music hooks us out? No, no. I mean, again, <laughs> I think as much as we love questions, if you have any questions for that you want answered in the book or topics mm. you want to know more about, but also for the show, if there's something you want to learn more about, we've got, um, we're bouncing some ideas. We've kind of changed, you know, made a few changes to what we're going to talk about in September and October. Um, November, we're looking forward to t- interviewing some authors, some garden authors. So we've got a couple of those lined up. And uh, so, yeah, so we just enjoyed our, our deep dive uh, all this summer. And uh, so we know, but we were very theme oriented. And so now we're going to break it a little bit open a bit. Um, but we'd love to know what you want to hear about. So uh, so feel free to drop us a line at instudio101 at gmail.com or down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com um right that's right and thanks again we look forward to talking to you soon and thanks for joining us down the garden path here on reality radio 101
thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.